Gary Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It is great to be with you, as always. And, uh, by the way, you can join us during the week on Fox Business. Name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And if, uh, by some crazy chance, you can't make it at 4, you can text your favorite 9-year-old, and she'll show you how to DVR the show, or the show plays again, 7 to 8 p.m. And here on uh, radio, you can live stream us on the internet. LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. You can hear us all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, and the Milky Way, so you can't miss us. Anyway, um, great to be with you. A couple things I want to talk about. Politics, number one, the Republican debate Wednesday night. Mr. Trump didn't show up. He was probably the real winner. I want to say we're going to talk about this with uh, John Carney of Breitbart and Mark Simone, uh, radio host, uh, at at the half hour, but... I'm going to say right at the top, I don't think they got the job done. I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, polling and punditry about the individual candidates. But the overall message, I don't think, was very strong. I didn't hear anybody really beat Joe Biden, which is a big problem, because we've got to stop his big government socialism and his crazy climate change, and woke policies, etc., etc. I mean, I think some of those guys had great moments. Uh, I think the winner of the debate was Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, businessman, young businessman, successful entrepreneur. He defended Donald Trump and really was probably the biggest supporter of Trump policies including the Ukraine war, which is splitting the Republican Party in two. Um, The Vague wants to take the Trump view, which is to make a peace deal as soon as possible, whereas uh, Mike Pence, my pal Mike Pence, and Nikki Haley, former UN ambassador, uh, want to continue the war until Ukraine wins, which I think is not likely. But in any event, my sort of 50,000-foot view is that nobody had a strong growth message. Nobody had a very positive economic message. Nobody had a MAGA message, make America great again. They were kind of sniping at each other. Nobody really took on Bidenomics. John Carney of Breitbart wrote a very good piece about how they really didn't tackle inflation. The economy inflation is the number one, it's the number one issue. Everybody says that, all the polls show that. I mean, they didn't talk about middle class affordability, you know, the high price of basic necessities like groceries or gasoline. You know, gasoline is, I don't know what it is today, it's about $3.85. 
when Biden took office was about $2.30. Now, it may be down from its peak, which was around five bucks, but it's still very high. In fact, all prices, this is a problem. You know, the year-to-year -year change in the consumer price index has come down uh, from over 9% to 3.2%. The core rate is 4.7%, I think, or 4.8. But the level of prices is 16% higher than it was uh, back in early 2021 when Biden took office. And that high level of prices whether it's groceries that are up 20% or gasoline that's uh, you know, up a dollar and a half, that's cutting into middle-class affordability. And the estimates are $700 a month. It's $700 a month more expensive to live than it was two and a half years ago. Nobody mentioned that. I don't recall anybody mentioning that. And I don't recall anybody really talking about this inflation problem, affordability. And then I don't recall anybody talking about the inflation decline in wages. Real wages are down substantially over the last two and a half years. So you're working hard. You have a job. That's good. The unemployment rate is low. That's good. But because of high prices of necessities of life, as I say, like gasoline or food, just two things, gasoline and groceries, just like that, bang, bang. It's a lot of other stuff too, but just those two, think of it. Because of the high prices, the wages have gone down. What you earn buys less. Your take-home pay is falling. After taxes and after inflation, your take-home pay is falling under Biden for well over two years. And that's why his economic approval rating is about 35%. I didn't see anybody really tackle that. Now, there were good moments. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to trash the whole thing. There were good moments. All right, Mike Pence, for example, talked about the Trump-Pence, as he calls it, the Trump-Pence tax cuts, which were enormously successful in boosting the economy, where middle and lower income people had the greatest gains in wages, $6,000 increase in wages, whereas wages are falling right now, as I said before. So Mike Pence mentioned that. That was good. Nobody, as, as far as I know, nobody mentioned the tax cuts. Nobody else. And, of course, as I said, hear anybody mention, mention the, uh, the inflation problem, the wage problem, the cost of living problem, the affordability problem. These are big issues, folks. You're not going to beat Joe Biden unless you tackle these issues. And that's what's on Americans' minds. And I didn't hear that. As I say, I didn't really hear a positive, optimistic message. You know, my pal, the great Art Laffer, Arthur Laffer, has said time and time again on the TV show and on this radio show, he said, Republicans need to show the public, I don't care who you are, men, women, suburbs, cities, 
black, white, Hispanic, Asian, anybody. The public has to, sh the Republicans have to show the public that they will be stewards of a prosperous economy. Except for a couple years under Trump, 2018, 2019, after the tax cuts, and a couple years under George W. Bush, after his tax cuts of 2003. Except for a couple years, we have not had a prosperity-driven economy. We have not. It's almost 25 years, 23 years. Spanning Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. Americans yearn for us. We need like a Reagan, a Reagan's economy. Reagan cut taxes, Reagan cut regulations. Reagan was in favor of free market capitalism. Reagan was pro-business. The economy grew about 5.5% at an annual rate from 1982 through 1990. Eight years. Eight years. You want to go way back to the John F. Kennedy tax cuts in the 1960s. The economy grew at about 5%, I think over 5% under JFK. That's prosperity. For the last 20 years, 23 years, we've grown less than 2% per year. The last, uh, you know, Joe Biden's first full year in office, 2022, and this year, 2023, the economy has grown at 1.3% at an annual rate. That's not five. That's less than two. That's the kind of thing you need to talk about. And then bring it back to the pocketbook issues, the kitchen table issues of take-home pay, of the prices of ordinary, you know, necessities of life. Kitchen table issues, pocketbook issues. They didn't do that. Now, Ramaswamy was good. He talked about climate change and bashed it as a hoax, and he's right. You've got Nobel Prize winners talking about the hoax of climate change. There's no existential risk whatsoever. He did the best job. I thought he had a good... Uh, we had him on the TV show, and his nuclear family, traditional nuclear family, was also a good message. So he had good message. I mean, I thought um, DeSantis was, you know, good on education and good on crime, firing some U.S. attorneys. So some of these guys had, you know, they had moments. But no one had the overarching, what I call the MAGA issue, the way Donald Trump has the MAGA issue. Make America great again. Here's my vision. Here's my positive, optimistic vision of the future. We're going to cut taxes, cut regulations, reopen the spigots for oil and gas, 
That's a message. We're going to raise real wages the way we did before. That's a message. I didn't hear that. Bidenomics has failed. Big government planning, big government socialism, big government spending, along with the taxing and regulating and the crazy obsessive climate change. I just didn't hear that message with any clarity. And Ramaswamy won the debate, but the guy who really won the debate was Donald Trump. He won the debate. And Trump finds himself now with a huge lead. He was talking to Tucker Carlson. A lot of people heard him. Latest poll, interactive polls, post-debate, Trump 61%, DeSantis 9, Ramaswamy 5, Pence 5, Tim Scott 3, Haley 2, Christie 1. Trump holds a 52-point lead. This is a post-debate poll, and it's a good one. So what does that tell you? Trump has the message, and he has the experience, and no matter what, uh, no matter what the Biden Justice Department tries to do to him, He's still the front runner in the GOP, and he's running even or ahead of Biden in the presidential race. So think, think about that. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to talk some more about this. This Trump mugshot story is just the most dreadful story. What is America doing to itself? The most dreadful story. Quick break. I'm Kudlow. Right back after this. Larry Kudlow. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. You know, it's, um, there's a story in the uh, Washington Examiner uh, how Republicans, I guess, on the Small Business Committee uh, in the House. So they run the House, so they run the committee. Anyhow, uh, the Energy Department, Jennifer Granholm, has now put out a new regulation. You can't have ceiling fans. Now you have to have different ceiling fans. Now here's the thing. This is something that Republicans should have talked about in the debate, because there's a, a lot of appliances. Trump talks about this all the time. When I interviewed Trump uh, last week, we had a whole section. He just started talking about this. Uh, water pressure, toilets, showers, shower heads. You go down the list, of course, you know, uh, gas stoves, microwaves, uh, all these things, heaters, gas heaters, all these appliances that people own and like and use at home or in their business are being uh, thrown out by these crazy Biden regulations, all in the name of climate change, which itself is crazy. It's a hoax. It is a hoax. There's no threat. Carbon emissions are falling. 
mostly because of natural gas and better technologies. Anyway, I digress because people now these ceiling fans. So that the, the ten to thirty percent of small businesses uh, who make ceiling fans are going to be thrown out of business. All right, so call twenty percent of those. I mean, this is something that they make manufacturers. They make them in the Midwest. They make them in the South. Businesses use fans. People at home use fans. Now the Energy Department, Jennifer Granholm, and the Biden administration says you can't use that. You can't have these fans. Okay, it's just nonsense. Utter nonsense. Has no impact on climate change whatsoever. None. Zero. Now that's the kind of thing people should be talking about. People. Republicans. And of course, no gas-powered cars. No gas-powered cars. There's a Story in New Jersey, editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Governor Phil Murphy, nice guy, by the way, but he's wrong on so many issues. So they, by 2035, no gas-powered cars. It's the California idea. They've done the same thing. A couple of wacko states on the West Coast, you know, Washington, Oregon, California. Crazy, crazy stuff. Anyhow, no gas-powered cars by 2035, but I think... There's a loophole. You can have used cars, used gas-powered cars. So what's that going to do to the car business? Going to hit, going to kill it. Going to kill it. They can't make cars because people don't want the electric vehicles. And they can't make new gas cars, but you can have old ones. I mean, this is just insanity. And it, you know what? It lacks ordinary common sense. People scratch their head. You don't have to be a PhD to figure this stuff out. That's what the GOP's got to do to win the election in 24. Donald Trump does that. He knows this story cold. The others have not. It's a pity because there's good people. I'm not here to damage them. I'm just saying they didn't get the job done. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to continue our discussion of the debate and other related matters, including this crazy mugshot story. Anyway, this is going to be great fun. This is a brand new duo. Very exciting. John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, and my dear friend Mark Simone, radio host 710WOR, weekdays 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., recently nominated to the Radio Hall of Fame. Gentlemen, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, John Carney, i got to start with you. You wrote the greatest piece. This is. Can, do you have a Hall of Fame articles list? This is so great. Business <laughs> Digest, out on Thursday. Americans wanted to hear about inflation. But the Republicans didn't talk about it. I, I just mentioned it in my opening riff, and I also mentioned it on the TV show Thursday. John Stuart Mill once called the Conservative Party in England the stupidest party, and by inference, the Republicans. The number one issue is inflation. There was almost no discussion about it. I just talked about it in my opening here, John. I don't think Mark Simone's going to disagree with that. Uh, and also... You're great. Thank you for this, by the way. Thank you very much. 
By contrast, our friend Larry Kudlow interviewed Donald Trump last week, and they spent nearly an hour talking about the economy. Trump provided very detailed discussions of a number of issues, including trade tariffs and the importance of American inflation. Kudlow began his interview by focusing on inflation. <laughs> okay, and Trump talked about inflation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And John, the GOP didn't talk about it in the debate. How is this possible? I mean, really? How are you going to beat Biden if you don't go after his greatest weakness? <laughs> it was incredible, Larry. I sat there, you know, getting ready for the debate with my notebook out to, you know, write down all of the great things I expected to hear from these guys who want to be president of the United States or running to be the Republican nominee to beat Biden. So I was ready to go. And at the end of the debate, I had nothing. I had a pen and a blank piece of paper. And that was, I couldn't believe that they blew this chance to, you know, explain how they would do things differently, why Biden, how Biden had, had contributed to this massive surge of inflation. We got nothing from them. And as you said, all of the polls, show that this is Biden's key weakness, that this is the number one concern of all Americans, but also that by far the number one concern among Republicans who these guys are running for their endorsement. So that's, it was just an incredibly lost opportunity for these people. And Mark Simone, a few days, uh, let's, I, I interviewed Trump uh, a week before the debate, and that's all we talked about was the economy, inflation, uh, as John pointed out, trade, tariffs, manuf American manufacturing. That's, uh, you know, Federal Reserve policies. Now, I know, Mark Simone, you're not the economics guy, but don't you think this is an odd story? Yeah, you know, uh, and, and for people that say, why does he keep talking about 2020? Why does he keep talking about it? That's because you keep asking him about that. You asked him <laughs> about the economy and inflation, and got him to open up for one hour, and he's got uh, he knows what to do. He's got great depth on the issue. Now these guys in the uh, debate, in their defense, they don't know anything about fighting inflation. DeSantis <laughs> has been a great governor, but uh, there's no indication he knows how to run a national economy. Mm. Fighting inflation, Chris Christie has proven he knows nothing about it. Look what he did in New Jersey. So right. they, I mean, they were just busy trying to take out each other. That they're concerned about themselves right now, not us yet. So, Mark, um, Trump, this is the, you saw the interactive poll. Trump has a 52-point lead. This poll was taken after the debate. What does that tell you? Uh, that he was right not to go to the debates. Why should he be sitting at the kiddie table? He'd look out of place there. This was a little junior varsity group. Uh, he's got the nomination. I mean, you know, anything can happen in uh, a year. But as it stands now, he's got the nomination. Uh, these guys just uh, have proven they're not ready for prime time. They're all running for something. Some are running for vice president. Vivek, I could see being a great cabinet member. Tim Scott, same thing. Christie was running for uh, trying to get on a friar's roast or something. I don't know what he was trying to do. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Pence can't run for vice president. He already, he already was vice president. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing there. Yeah, actually, uh, John Pence was the only guy that talked about tax cuts. He mentioned them. He said we, you know, we have to extend the. He called them the Trump Pence uh, tax cut. I thought that was odd too. I mean, when when you listen to Trump, now I had this in my interview, but look, Trump Trump is running an issues campaign. He always talks about, you know, climate change, tax cuts, deregulation, inflation. 
That's all. He talks about it constantly. Every speech he gives, he's done these videos on these issues. He's put out white papers. Um, whether one likes Trump or not, my point is he's running a sharp-edged issues campaign, and the others just don't seem to get this, John Carney. I think that's right. I think that they have focused on, look, I think all of the issues that they discuss, the cultural issues, social issues, are all very, very important. But the key weakness right now that that Biden has is the economy. People are really unhappy with the economy. It's almost as if, Larry, Trump must have sometime in the last decade surrounded himself with some brilliant economic minds who really (laughs) helped him learn about how this stuff works. Because, you know, obviously he knows these issues very well. And uh, I think he, you know, he, he is the really showed that the, what the debate showed to me is none of these guys who are up on stage really have an idea about how the economy works, what can be done about it. What, you know, even if a guy said, well, look, you know, you can take the position that I don't think, you know, that, that it's all up to the Fed. Fine. Take that position. Explain how you would advise the Fed to do something different. Trump wasn't shy during his administration about chastising the Fed. They Mm -hmm. freaked out about it. The left Mm -hmm. freaked out when he did it. But you can do that as president. They could at least explain how they would exhort the the Fed to do a better job than it's done. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Mark Simone, let me go to this mugshot issue uh, and get your take on it because this... (laughs) You know, this is a bad thing for this country to do, you know, to try to do to Trump what the Democrats are trying to do to Trump. And the mugshot issue in some ways um, encapsulate this whole issue. I mean, basically, the Biden Democrats want to throw Trump in jail. We know that. Uh, Of course, he could still run from jail. But the point is, this is so un-American. This is so against American interests. I mean, what does this look like if you're sitting there in Europe or Latin America or Asia or China and you see this stuff? I mean, how how this just degrades the whole country, Mark Simone? Yeah, you know, obviously uh, the economy is the big issue, but number two is the complete uh, loss of any uh, law and order. I mean, we're in total chaos now. They've corrupted the Justice Department. They've corrupted. Uh, law enforcement in our cities, the, the borders wider. This is a big, big issue. And that mugshot is going to be the biggest backfire in history. You know, one of Biden's big problems, he's lost younger voters. They're not taken to him. And a lot of analysts are now seeing this mugshot is helping Trump with younger voters. He now looks like the rebel. He now looks like the outsider. It, it gives him a swagger. Remember who had famous mugshots? Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, mm. uh, Tupac Shakur, Johnny Ooh. Cash. You, Right. You become a folk hero, a real rebel, and he's he's going to probably pick up now with younger voters. They're now looking at him differently. What is that? Uh, when you saw that mugshot, what was your feeling? I mean, it it looks like he's very angry. He has a right to be angry. Uh, he looks defiant to me, Larry. Is what defiant. it and I think right. I think that's actually one of the things people love about Donald uh. Trump. We. We had we were even so at Breitbart, we actually started selling T-shirts and coffee mm. mugs mm. with the mugshot on it. But even before we could get, you know, the mugshot came out and people were already searching for merchandise. They, you know, mm. they wanted this mugshot. They wanted posters of it. They wanted coffee mugs. They wanted T-shirts. We couldn't make, you know, like get the companies to put it on there fast enough. 
And literally, that's, you know, people are buying these things because it's going to become a symbol of their the, the symbol of Trump's defiance is going to become a symbol of the people's defiance as well. You, you know, Mark you, Simone, that do you see it? I, that, I think Carney's right. I mean, he looked angry, yes, but defiant. I like that defiant. What do you think, Mark? I know exactly what he was doing. Knowing this guy for decades, he practiced the mugshot. They took sample mugshots. He figured out exactly the look he wanted. He used that look a little in 2015 in some of the debates. Mm. That look is Clint Eastwood, is Dirty Harry, because he knows Ooh. people are looking for that right now. That's what they they want a guy like that to come clean up this mess. So you think this is going to backfire? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Mark, you see this poll that Trump has now has a 52-point lead. After the first debate, what does that tell you? It tells me this is without even showing up. Could you imagine if he showed up, the lead <laughs> he would have? Uh, yeah, Vivek was great, but, uh, uh, you know, he's no match for Trump. Uh, obviously, DeSantis has shown he hasn't got it as far as a campaigner. He's just awkward and dead. And uh, Tim Scott, I love him. Great. I don't know if he's ready for prime time. But Trump, once he shows up in a debate, you'll see how much bigger than life he is among, you know, among these guys. Mark, uh, DeSantis had trouble figuring out whether to raise his hand or not. Remember that? Yeah, that is right out of the John Kerry school. Right, let's take a poll to see what I think. You know? Yeah, but he looked Al to Gordon. the left, and he was kind of, he kept his hand. Then he looked to the right, and they were for Trump, and he started to raise his hand. You know, those visuals will kill you. I mean, those, yeah. you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Uh, George Bush wiped out Gore in the, his speech at the convention when he said, I don't have to see which way the wind is blowing to know what I think or where oh, it stands. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I mean, that is really, really something. John Carney, I know you're not that political, but um, you figure Trump's going to get the nomination. Yeah, of course he's going to get the nomination and the book. The, you know, as you were saying, the, the mugshot is going to, you know, it's free advertising mm -hmm. everywhere. It, the, the defiant look really captures the nation's mood. I, dare, I agree with Mark, by the way. This thing, you know, Trump makes sure he does things right. It's actually one of the things people like about him. He didn't just let them take a mugshot. He, had, he definitely had practice mugshots taken of him. And, you know, as, you know, as he would put it, this is a great mugshot. This is the perfect <laughs> mugshot, right? It is absolutely perfect, just like all the phone calls. You know, the perfect mugshot. And, and, it, and, and it is, I believe me. I mean, there's a reason why people want this stuff on T-shirts right now. They're going to wear them. We're going to see them. Boy, it's really something. All right, let's take a quick break. John Carney of Breitbart co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. Folks, you have to, uh, the Breitbart Business Digest comes out every day. It is an absolute must read. And my great friend, Mark Simone, radio host at 710WOR. We're, we're very open-minded here on the Cudlow Show. Mark is on weekdays, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, and recently nominated to the Radio Hall of Fame. He's the true, best of the best. Uh, I'm Cudlow, very humble. We'll be right back. Larry Cudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here talking to John Carney, a Breitbart co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, and uh, Mark Simone, radio host at uh, WOR uh, 710 weekdays between 10 and noon uh, every day. Um, 
Mark Simone, uh, I don't, you're not a big drinker. I haven't had a drink in 28 years, actually. Did it as a public service. Um, but there's a new regulation coming out of the Biden, of the Biden administration. You could only have two drinks a week. Now, what? <laughs> it just came out. It's, uh, actually, Gutfeld was talking about it last night on his show. Uh, I see some newspaper coverage, some media coverage this morning. Two drinks a week. Now, this is part, the reason I raise this is um, this is part of their central planning attempts to control everything. I mean, climate change is the biggest part of that. You know, you, you can't have a gas-powered car in a couple of years. I want to get to the new appliances on, no ceiling fans. But two drinks a week, Mark Samoa, how do you think that's going to play? Uh, well, <laughs> if I were in the bar business or restaurant business, <laughs> I'd be very upset. Well, as I was saying before, obviously the economy is always, when, when it's bad, that's the big issue. But this police state stuff yeah. is going to become the big issue. It's, yeah. it's, it's just total lawlessness. It all ties together. They want to tell you what appliance, come right into your house, tell you what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, throw you in jail if you disagree. Hey, and there's a big breaking story this morning, New York Post reporting, Biden's White House counsel met with Jack Smith's uh, office. Oh, I know. I have to catch up so, on that story. I saw the headline. I got to read. So where, where, tell us more about that one. It's all going to tie together. His White House counsel hmm. met with Jack Smith's uh, team. About two weeks before the indictment, this is, you know, you have the corruption investigation. This looks extremely corrupt to everybody. It's all going to tie together. And then that uh, going after the appliances and making it into a police state. I don't think Biden's going to be the nominee. I think in uh, early next year, he's going to announce he's not mm. seeking reelection. They're going to pull mm. him out and look for somebody else. Wow. He just looks too corrupt with all of this stuff tied together. I want to know what kind of Jedi mind trick that the right has pulled on the Biden administration to make them oppose pizza, <laughs> beer, ceiling fans, showers that work. Like, literally, we have them on the wrong side of everything. And, uh, and yet they keep going. It keeps getting worse. You think, oh, well, they're banning coal fire and wood fire pizzas in New York City. You know, that's really bad. And then they're like, oh, you think that's bad. We're also going to tell you you can't have more than two beers in a week. I mean, no. See, yeah, also, be... if you, if you're trying to win suburban housewives, you tell them they can't have more than two drinks every month. <laughs> you're going to have a problem. <laughs> no ceiling fans now. Okay, uh, businesses use ceiling fans. Homes. I mean, I love ceiling fans. Um, you're going to have, or you have to replace them with new specified ceiling fans, which is going to put a third of the business, the ceiling fan business, you know, anti-manufacturing, John. I mean, this is exactly the wrong approach. But it is, they want to control, I like Mark's idea, the police state, central planners there in Washington, they're going to tell us how to live, basically how to live. And, what, and the appliance story continues. And By the way, you know, I can't, Trump is so strong on appliances. He... I mean, we listen, National Economic Council that I ran under Trump, we spent a lot of time pulling regs, regs together, regulations together that would, uh, you know, allow people strong uh, shower heads, strong water flow, let toilets flush properly, uh, all those kinds of things. Biden is repealing this. People hate this. I mean, they're in the middle of your life. They're telling you how to live, John. I mean, it's, well, here, it's an incredible story. Here's an, 
a, a thing where I think actually Trump's very practical experience as a guy who ran hotels and resorts and right. casinos actually comes in. He knows how much being comfortable and convenience means to his customers. And so when he sees that they're saying, you know, you have to have a shower that won't clean you off and you have to have a toilet that won't flush properly, mm. he knows how annoying that is to people. And frankly, I, I think there's almost a uh, is sort of pseudo-religious aspect to this. Mm. The left sees things that make people comfortable and decides that that angers the climate gods and mm. has to be eliminated. So, you know, again, showers that work, the ceiling fan. I actually just rushed out and bought a ceiling fan because I'm afraid they're <laughs> going to. I'm afraid oh. we're going to have a shortage of good ceiling fans because yeah. they're going to ban the. They're going to ban the ones that work. So I have a little gazebo in my backyard. I want to install a ceiling fan to keep it cool back there. Mm. And uh, you know, I'm afraid we're going to. You know, they're going to ban them. You know what else is going to happen? They're going to make it so that the only ones you can get are going to be manufactured abroad because they'll, oh. they'll put the restrictions on U.S. manufacturers. And yet somehow the ones that come from China will be, you know, waved through and they won't be the restrictions. So, again, it'll hurt U.S. manufacturers. It'll help foreign manufacturers. This is the way it always works. Mm. It's crippling to the U.S. economy. And frankly, like I said, there's no sense in it. it nobody actually thinks these things help. It's yeah. just almost a religious sense. You know, Mark, you just use that phrase, police days. Any, has any of these politicos used that? I think that's no, a great, it, a great uh, line. Yeah, it's a police state. They'll come. They'll tell you how much you're allowed to make, how much you're allowed to drink. They'll come into your house and take your microwave and take everything. And hmm. you know, you talk about kitchen table. These are the real kitchen table issues. <laughs> if you're sitting there sweating at the kitchen table and you <laughs> you haven't had a real shower, <laughs> you can't. Your food is. Should have a beer right? to cool off. <laughs> <laughs> The police state, that is a heck of a line, and you're absolutely right. i got to remember that. They should use that, uh, all of them. Wait till they learn how popular air fryers are. I bet they're going to come after those as well because people love those things, and they hate the things that are making people happy. So they're going to just have to come after those eventually as well. Uh, These rules are being passed down by guys. Each one of them has six houses, 12 planes, 19 cars. (laughs) Right. Right. These are wealthy people who have the creature comforts they want. They can afford to replace appliances. They can afford to do that. You're exactly right. They can probably make custom-made appliances, for God's sake. John Carney, uh, I got a short time. Give me a paragraph or two. Jay Powell's Jackson Hole speech gives a whiff of a clash with the Biden White House. That's your uh, digest. uh, Yes. So in the latest Breitbart Business Digest, I I think that there is, I've already been sensing it a little bit, but the Biden administration is going to be, Jay Powell warned on Friday that he may have to keep raising rates because inflation is running hot. If he does that in an election year, the Biden administration are going to go absolutely nuts. All right. You guys are great. John Carney of Breitbart, Mark Simone, WR Radio host. I can't thank you enough. I'm Kudlow. Folks, we're going to take a break, and the great Steve Forbes is coming on the other side. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you today. We have special guests coming all the way from Britain, my friend Nigel Farage who, by the way, is the host of the number one rated political news show in the U.K. It's called Farage 
on Great Britain News. He's a former leader of the Brexit Party. Uh, Nigel, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. <laughs> You're terrific to do this. We appreciate it. You were great on the TV show. Nigel, can we just talk for a moment about your battle of bank accounts uh, in London, in Britain, and Nat West, and the guy had to resign? Because this, this is a story, by the way, that we hear about in the U.S., debanking uh, because you're not woke enough. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, I've been with a banking group called NatWest, National Westminster, since 1980. I've run all my personal accounts. I ran my business accounts while I worked in the commodity markets in the city of London before my political career. Um, I currently have a, a service company that I run through there that does some property investments and gets a bit of media income and things like that. And just out of the blue, um, I get a phone call followed by a letter to say, we're closing your accounts. Hmm. I asked, is there, is there any reason? We don't have to give a reason. So I thought, well, I'm not really very happy with this because this has been happening to a lot of my colleagues. Funny, isn't it? Anybody that happens to appear, you know, a strong Eurosceptic that supported the campaign to leave the European Union, that thinks we should have proper border controls, that doesn't believe that four-year-olds should be read nighttime stories by drag queens or whatever else it may be. So this had happened to a few friends of mine. I thought, right, I'm going to stand and fight. And I was able to use a legal mechanism. And the legal mechanism got me my personal data from the bank. So the bank had said, give me no reason. I went public to say this is a scandal. It's happening to too many people. The boss of the bank then decided they briefed the BBC. Well, of course they briefed the BBC, wouldn't they? Because they're all globalists together. And the briefing was that I'd been debanked because I now had insufficient funds in my account to be commercially viable. Anyway, I used this legal mechanism to get my personal data, and on my file, it said we will close his accounts because he does not align with the values of the bank. Oh, wow. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm uh, Larry, I'm, I'm embrace yourself, audience, because... You know, I may be one of the worst human beings that's ever appeared on this network, um, but I'm, I'm thought to be xenophobic because I didn't want to be controlled by Brussels. I'm thought to be racist because I believe in border controls. Um, I'm, oh, well, I'm also, I'm thought to be out of touch with modern society because I retweeted a joke by Ricky Gervais. Wow. Wow. So anyway, this whole thing exploded. They debanked me for, politi for political reasons. Mm. The boss had lied about it. She was forced to resign. Mm. Uh, now, we, now we learn she, she's going to get a, a big payoff, which I'm going to fight. But mm. interestingly, the act of me speaking out, so many other people have now spoken out. Uh, this is a real scandal that's going on. And frankly, it is, and it sounds hysterical, but it's verging on political persecution. Mm. Um, but you see, ESG, Larry, the whole ESG agenda, mm. it started about 20 years ago. Um, and that, that wokeism is getting ever more deep inside the banking industry. This week, I'm going to be exposing um, some examples of the insurance industry behaving in, in exactly the same way. And really what we're talking about here is why don't banks 
just be banks. Right. Insurance companies just be insurance companies. Mm, um, and why doesn't the regulator... Because, I mean, all these financial markets are regulated. I mean, some might argue over-regulated. Mm. It, seems the, it seems the regulators in mm. America have tolerated this behaviour. And in this country, on this side of the pond, they virtually encouraged it. Well, I'm very pleased to say that Rishi Sunak, our Prime Minister, Jeremy Hunt, our Finance Minister, our Chancellor of the Exchequer, they've spoken out very strongly, not just in support of me, but in support of the principle that it's utterly wrong in a free society to take away people's accounts on the basis of their views. And they have instructed the regulator to make change. So mm. maybe, just maybe, we can turn this crazy tide. So good. <clears throat> the Tory party has taken this up and they are fighting this through as a big issue. Yeah, I think, you know, they probably said to themselves, God, you know, here's another issue on which fact public support. Perhaps we'd better do what he says. Mm. <laughs> but, but at least they've acted. At least they have acted. They've given this instruction. Uh, but what we do need is regulatory change because one of the problems that goes right through our financial systems is this fear of money laundering. Mm. Now, look, we know, we know that there are tens of billions of dollars worth of illegal drug money that get laundered around the world every month. We know that's true. And of course we want to find a way, if we can, of stopping it. But the problem with the legislation is the legislation that gets put in tends to affect small companies who might receive an unusual payment and the bank panics. Mm. Uh, it's like a sledgehammer to miss the nut. And what the banks are doing now, and you'll notice this, it's happening in Australia, it's happening here quite aggressively, is they're restricting access to cash. They're saying, you know, you cannot draw out your own cash from your bank account. Mm. You can only withdraw a tiny amount. If you're a small business, say, say you run a fish stall, you know, and you're, you, you know, you're taking cash over a fish stall. Well, the banks don't really want your business. And there is a, a willful attempt. And this is the really biggest issue of all that I've uncovered. There is a willful attempt to drive out cash. Now, our government has a pilot project starting in 2030, they're recruiting right now, to introduce central bank digital currencies. Right, right, right. That, that would give banks and government total control over what we spend money on, over how we spend money. Uh, and frankly, if you, if you allied that to political debanking, which has happened to me, well, quite frankly, you wouldn't be too far away from a Chinese social credit system, mm. where the mm. only where the only people allowed to participate fully in society are those who have the correct fashionable views. So I, I think there's a really massive issue. These really are massive issues that are at stake. Um, um, but you know, it's, it's we've not got too it late. here, Nigel. We've it's growing here. I mean, you mm. you read a lot of stories. Uh, for example, the Bank of America. Uh, you read yep. a lot of stories about woke debanking, okay, the same, almost identical to the one you've just described, your own story. Um, yeah. politi you know, they want political correctness based on their views. Uh, it aligns with the Biden administration based on their views. You also have, Nigel, uh, talking about uh, digital currency, the uh, Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department here 
uh, are talking about the same thing. Uh, a U.S. digital currency, a Federal Reserve digital currency, which would give yep. them total control, total control over uh, financial flows. And I think um, this is a growing issue. I think this is a growing yeah, issue. Yeah, no, it is. No, it is. And of course, you know, I mean, here we have huge restrictions being put on commercial companies in terms of carbon dioxide mm. uh, usage mm. and, and, and emissions. I mean, I honestly can see a time when, oh, you fancy booking a flight to go on holiday with the kids? No, sorry, you've used your carbon allowance for the year. Yeah. I mean, you can see, you can see exactly. You, you want to buy a gun? Oh, no, I'm sorry, but you've got a gun already. We don't think really you should have another one. Yeah, it would be very, very easy for this system to be horribly abused. But I think, really, I think the more we can talk about this, the more we can get uh, people to understand this, um, the more chance there is of stopping it. And I'd, I'll tell you this, I mean, I was, I've always been seen to be a bit of a divisive figure because campaigning to leave a political union, mm. we've been part of for, for almost half a century. Well, a lot of people quite like the status quo. And it was a 52-48. And kind of walking down the street, the reactions I get are 52-48 from right. people. But suddenly on this issue, my, my website's been flooded with messages of people saying, look, Nigel, I wasn't with you on Brexit, but on this issue hmm. of free speech, of fairness, of avoiding digital currencies, we're 100% behind you. And this is, this is one of those issues. I mean, it shouldn't really be a left-right issue. You know, basic issues of free speech. These Sadly, are freedom issues. These are freedom issues. Freedom issues. That's I, what I they mean, are. In the old days, in the old days, the left would have embraced this. Yeah. But, yes. so, but so much of the modern left is now obsessed with its own moral superiority mm -hmm. and the attempt to cancel out the view or silence the view of anybody else. But I promise you, out there among the public, once people see this story, they understand it, they get it. These are socialist, communist, freedom issues. These are central planning issues, Nigel. Uh, in the last segment, Mark Simone called it police state issues. You know, you can't, you can't have, you can't have a ceiling fan. You can't have a gasoline-powered car. All those kinds mm -hmm. of things limiting free choice. This is unbelievable stuff. So it's happening on both sides of the pond. Sounds like it's almost worse over there. Uh, marginally, yeah. yeah. I think it is marginally worse. But, but, but I mean, the important thing to remember is it's particularly bad in Canada, the USA, the UK, mm. Australia, and New Zealand. Mm. It's much worse in the English-speaking countries. Mm. I mean, if you go to Is if you go to Italy, I, I promise you, Larry, there's no wokeism in Italy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's, none mm. what, there's none whatsoever. And and the, it took me a long time to work this out. But the reason is the dominance of those West Coast of America mm. social media companies. Mm. They are the ones that have been controlling what we read, what we see mm. on Facebook and elsewhere. And it's, and it's those companies that have, to a very, very large extent, forced this agenda upon us. And we have to hope, we have to hope that with Elon Musk buying Twitter, I mean, paying a crazy price for it, but that's by the by, um, with Elon Musk buying Twitter, we have to hope that that playing field gets leveled again. Right. It's, very, it, it's very, very important. Nigel Farage, number one rated political news show, the leader of the Brexit Party, the leader of the freedom movement in England. Thank you, Nigel. You're terrific to do <laughs> this.
All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, Greg Jarrett is going to talk about this breaking story, the White House counsel meeting with special counsel Jack Smith before President Trump's indictment. Oh, my God, more corruption. I'm Kudlow. We'll take a quick break. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome, <clears throat> welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. There's some breaking news. Uh, uh, staffer in the Biden White House Council, that's the lawyers, a guy named Jay Brad, apparently met with special counsel Jack Smith uh, before the Trump indictment. This is not supposed to happen. And let's bring in Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst and author of the great book, Trial of the Century, by the way, Trial of the Century, uh, about uh, William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow and the great Scopes Monkey Trial. Greg, um, what do you make of this story? I mean, this I thought special counsels or whatever they're called are supposed to be independent. Well, they are indeed, uh, and they shouldn't be coordinating uh, with, uh, you know, the Biden White House uh, and President Biden's lawyers, hmm. uh, Biden, of course, would be the beneficiary of any uh, prosecution and conviction of his political opponent. So, you know, this simply underscores what's really going on here. This is a concerted effort by special counsel Jack Smith, as well as prosecutors in New York and Georgia, uh, to interfere in the upcoming hmm. presidential election. Hmm. Uh, I can't imagine any legitimate reason for a staffer uh, in the Biden White House to be meeting with a special counsel except to coordinate how they're going to use the criminal justice system as a political weapon. I mean, these special counsels, Greg Jarrett, I, I thought they were supposed to be outside of the Justice Department, independent people uh, acting, obviously, uh, on their own. So th this really smacks of coordination. This story is a tough, we don't know all that much about it yet, uh, but it yeah. broke, uh, I guess, last night, this morning, the New York Post is writing about it, others are probably writing about it. You think this whole thing's coordinated? Uh, Alvin Bragg stuff, uh, uh, now that, you know, the, 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 the Weiss stuff, uh, now this stuff in Georgia, I mean, this is just they basically want to throw Trump in jail before before the presidential election. Yeah, I mean, it's all a protection racket uh, mm. for Joe Biden, including the other special counsel, David Weiss, mm. the Delaware U.S. attorney, who spent five years in a sham investigation doing everything in his power to do nothing at all except, you know, tip off Hunter Biden's lawyers, scuttle search warrants, forbid any questions about Joe, documents have recently emerged that uh, he wasn't going to charge anything against Hunter Biden in order to protect Joe Biden until the two IRS whistleblowers, uh, you know, stepped forward and began to expose uh, Weiss's own corruption. Uh, and then Weiss scrambled to get a plea deal to a couple of minor misdemeanors in hopes of, uh, you know, just shuffling the whole thing aside. Of course, that blew up in court. 
Uh, and that's when uh, Merrick Garland, uh, a corrupt U.S. Uh, attorney general, stepped in and said, well, now I'll make him special counsel so he can further protect Joe Biden and Hunter Biden with unilateral unilateral authority. So, yeah. I mean, this whole thing is just ugly corruption. You know, Greg Jarrett, uh, you and Dershowitz and others, uh, regarding this George indictment, um, Back in 2000, in the disputed Florida election and the presidential election, basically, as Dershowitz has described it, he and others, you know, worked very hard to find new votes that they think uh, were lost. Uh, they lobbied uh, legislators uh, and so forth. They did the same thing that the Trump people did, but they didn't get busted and the Trump people got busted. I mean, how phony is this George indictment? Oh, it's totally phony. And, you know, I was down there uh, for a month in Florida, oh. assigned at the time to cover the uh, Gore campaign efforts to overturn the election, to file challenges in court, to demand recounts, reviews, recalculations. Uh, when he did it, it's perfectly legal. But when Donald Trump tries to do it, it's somehow felonious, which yeah. is nonsense. All right, Greg Jarrett, I'm sorry we're running short today, but Greg Jarrett, folks, please buy his book, Trial of the Century. It's a fabulous uh, tale about the law. Actually, the law was fairer then. Anyway, I'm Kudlow. We'll take a quick break. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. All right, we're going to spend a leisurely half hour with my dear friend, the great Steve Forbes, chairman, editor-in-chief of Forbes Media, author most recently of the book Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. This is the pure Steve Forbes moment. Uh, Steve, thank you for this. On a Saturday morning, we appreciate it. Um, start with Jay Powell. Uh, he said inflation is still too high. And he's prepared to raise interest rates further. The Biden administration, on the other hand, says inflation has been beaten. And meanwhile, Steve, the mortgage rate is seven and a half percent, which is killing middle class homeowners and would be uh, purchases of homes. What do you make of it all, Mr. Steve Forbes? I feel like saying a plague on all their houses. <laughs> uh, the, Federal, the, the Federal Reserve still believes that prosperity causes inflation. They're still very upset that there's a very low unemployment rate. Their wages are going up, even if for many people they're not matching the rise in prices. So uh, they're going to uh, try to trash the economy again. And uh, you already mentioned what's happening to uh, mortgage rates. With interest rates going up, companies and uh, individuals refinancing uh, their debt. You're already starting to see it hit the car market uh, where uh, interest rates are going up. Card, credit card uh, debt is going up in terms of interest rates. You try to get a home equity loan, good luck. And now at the same time, Larry, the regulators are putting in new capital requirements on banks uh, that are going to make them uh, less uh, likely to lend at a time when the economy is facing serious headwinds. We all know what's happening with China. We all know what's happening with Japan and Europe. So uh, this is just bizarre. If you sat down and say you were the joker, to, ha, 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 how, do we, how do we make life miserable? You would uh, write Jay Powell speeches. <laughs> what? <laughs> God, that's great. Um, 
what is inflation whooped? I mean, that's a big issue because uh, when you do, when you sort of parcel through these consumer price reports and you look at what's happened to the level of prices over the last couple of years, two years, two and a half years, you know, kitchen tables are talking about gasoline prices. They're talking about food and grocery prices. Uh, you mentioned uh, car prices. You can't get a car. Loan. I mean, what is the inflation story and what should we do about it? Well, the inflation story is, and you've mentioned a number of times, is even if the official rate is coming down, prices in many areas are still going up, mm. which is why you have the phenomenon of people with upper incomes going to Walmart. They want to get more value for their dollars. People mm. are uh, spending more on necessities and being very careful where their extra dollars go. So you have a good part of the population now facing financial distress. So in terms of uh, the inflation, uh, the, the way they should do it is the way we used to do it for 200 years very successfully, and that is to tie the dollar to gold or at least look at commodity prices that uh, Alan Greenspan did for a while mm -hmm. when he was the head of the Federal Reserve. And uh, so you get relative uh, stability for the dollar. And that's how you conquer inflation. The rest of it will work for the system. So I just get, I feel like throwing up when I hear the Fed officials talk about, well, this part of the economy, prices are rising still too much, or the wages, blah, blah, blah. This is central planning. Leave it alone. Mm. The economy is people, and people figure it out on their own. What is a, so let's look at, I mean, I love the gold story, and I like the commodity uh, back dollar. What does that stuff tell you? Uh, what that stuff tells you right now is uh, the dollar, if they would announce stability for the dollar, uh, the, right now uh, we're facing a pressure on the economy. Hmm. So uh, there are indexes which are lagging inflation, which are lagging indicators. The labor market, which is a lagging indicator, all this tells you is the Federal Reserve piling on now is going to hurt the economy, not help it. Hmm. It's going to make the uh, fight against uh, it's going to make growth but more difficult. And we all know what happens politically. When you have a slow growth economy, you get more pressure for spending, which means more bond buying which by the Fed, which means more inflation down the road. So uh, I just wish they would just say, well, they won't, but uh, let's play fantasy world for a while. It's Saturday morning. Uh, to, they, they, they pick gold at 1900 or uh, say we're going to start yeah. doing dust off Alan Greenspan's speeches from the 90s. Uh, we, we, we can highlight them, <laughs> the appropriate quotes. And to give them to Jay Powell. Leave no, the economy I, alone. I think that's a great point. The gold prices have been fairly steady uh, for a while now, probably yeah. a year. All right, and so that may be telling us that you know the Fed's going to go. They're going to launch into overkill, as you say, to kill the economy because they believe there's a trade-off uh, between unemployment and inflation. Um, I mean, they're probably would say it. They're probably in better shape on this, Steve than they, they themselves realize. That's what's so bizarre. The patient is getting better. Mm. So stop bleeding them. Yeah. <laughs> let, let them get out of bed. <laughs> get back to a normal life. No, I think that's right. I mean, I think that's an in interesting point you're making. Uh, they have drained about a trillion dollars, a little less than a trillion, uh, from their balance sheet. They're not buying bonds uh, anymore or at least they're reducing their bond purchases, and the dollar is probably in better shape. It's just that they won't focus on that. So they're no, going to make... No, and it's amazing. They never mention, not one central banker ever mentions stability of the currency, stability right. of the dollar. Never mentioned. 
And so uh, that, that, that is just uh, totally uh, bizarre. And uh, people are going to look back when we finally come to our senses and say, what was going through their minds? Inflation, by definition is lowering the value of your currency. Ask the Argentinians where that can lead to. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's a really important point. Um, in your book, uh, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It, this is the how to fix it part. And um, as I say, they're in better shape than they realize. And if they, you know, if the, if the White House, I mean, I know they're not going to do this, but if you had supply-side growth policies with lower taxes and regulations and so forth, um, we would be producing more goods, uh, and there's less high-powered money out there, and the currency is rather steady. I mean, if you, you could get this done correctly. We're not that far away from it. No, uh, there, there, there's a movie called The 1980s. <laughs> we are alive <laughs> yes, right. And it worked then, and it can work today. But, you know, uh, with the Federal Reserve still misbehaving with an obsolete theory, we now have one of the most daring political coups in, in, in history, especially in a democracy. You know, when we were growing up when schools used to have uh, real literature courses, we read a book called 1984 by George Orwell mm-hmm. about an authoritarian society, Big Brother, mm-hmm. where the authorities saw every aspect of your life. That's what's unfolding today. All these rules on the EVs, all these uh, green rules are controlling businesses. Mm-hmm. You've cited that uh, memo from the from the Treasury Department on the first anniversary of the alleged Inflation Reduction Act, which is really the uh, Green Control the Economy Act, uh, the Green Complex, Green Industrial Complex. So they control companies, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so and at the same time they control our lives. So I don't know why you've hit it before. Why the Republicans don't make fun? of this every aspect of your life, everything that makes life worth living, more convenient. They want to wreck, whether it's air conditioners, shower heads, gas stoves, pizzas in New York, washing machines, dishwashers, lawnmowers, leaf blowers, mm. Mm. Any, every, everything, now, now ceiling, anything that works that makes life better, they want to control. So every aspect of your life is under their control. And now with uh, more digitalization, they can see what you buy and what you don't buy. Mm. A Chinese social credit system is coming. Mm. Oh, you're, you're drinking too much. We must fight obesity in the name of obesity. We're going to restrict you to this, that, and the other thing. And uh, we've got to wake people up to it. When people realize the enormity of what's happening, they're going to say, no way. Yeah, you, they've done it again. So now just in the last few days, the Energy Department is going to uh, ban ceiling fans. Uh, business is going to go out. Uh, individual, you're going to have to buy a new ceiling fan, or maybe you can't buy one at all. And the other thing is the White House has put out, you can only have two drinks a week. Uh, I, I'm not a drinker, but the point is, why are they telling us? We In the earlier in the show, Mark Simone, our pal Mark Simone, called it police state. It's a police state stuff. There's no free. We just had Nigel Farage talking about it, what's ha- what they tried to do to him and debank right. him in, in London, Steve. I mean, this is all crazy stuff. There's no common sense here. This is just crazy stuff. And and it's all done on the rubric of uh, climate change, which has mm. sort of uh, become a, a cult and uh, nothing to do with science. And now we discover, now we're told, paper straws may not be good for you after they ban plastic straws. And a couple of things on that. One, on plastic straws, you realize if you take the unrecyclable plastics in a couple of uh, wind farms, you know, each one has 900 tons of unrecyclable plastics, there are more plastics 
and those wind farms, two wind farms, than all the plastic straws and plastic cups in the world. Mm. So stop it. And these paper straws now, terrible. Now they're poisoning us. So uh, back off. And we can't even buy old electric light bulbs. Mm. Well, where's consumer choice? That's but it's it. all about control, Larry. And they're doing it under the name of climate. And if you object, they have all the names ready to shame you and silence you. Now, you've said this modern socialism through the regulatory state. That's exactly right. This is right out of uh, Friedrich Hayek. Uh, and it is Orwellian. You're exactly right on all those points. All right, we're going to take a quick break. <clears throat> Folks, if you hadn't guessed, we're talking to the great Steve Forbes, chairman, editor-in-chief of Forbes Media. His uh, latest book with Elizabeth Ames, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Steve, on the other side, let's talk about the Republicans in the debate, because I don't think yeah. they're getting the job done. I'm Cudlow. No, take not. a quick break. We'll be right back with Steve Forbes. Larry Cudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to the great Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media, and his most recent book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Steve, so you're making some great points. Um, critique the Republican debate uh, without Donald Trump. What did you make of it? Did they get these messages out there? Uh, uh, the answer is on the economic side, they still, let's uh, be charitable, have a lot of work to do. But I think uh, they mm. came across as uh, a people of a first rate of substance. And I think uh, that impressed the country that this party has real, a real bench. Uh, former governors have got real things done. And uh, I think in terms of uh, the economic side, I was glad that Vivek Ramaswamy uh, at least uh, mentioned the need for a stable dollar. Uh, his foreign policy mm -hmm. I have issues with, but at least he's got the Fed uh, mm -hmm. in, his, in, in his crosshairs. Rightly, I hope the others do the same. But what I'm looking for, and uh, Nikki Haley we impressed, and so did Ron DeSantis finally stopped his free fall. But I think what uh, really needs to be done is they have to put forth uh, Reagan-esque, uh, remember old Kemperoff, a big tax cut, mm -hmm. say, simply saying renewing the Trump tax cuts, not enough, we got to do more. Mm -hmm. Make it bigger, mm. make it huger, and uh, do something like the flat tax. Be bold. People are in the mood for it. Take on the Federal Reserve and have make fun of this regulatory binge, which has ominous implications that any part of your life is now going to be under government control. They should be slamming that because as people realize, what, is this serious? Uh, then, then, then I think uh, people are going to say, not only are we going to vote for uh, the person at the top, we're going to vote the entire ticket because this party now has a principled platform for progress. Yeah, nobody mentioned the regulatory state. Um, Ramaswamy talks about it. He mentioned the flat tax. And also, I will say Pence, Pence talked about uh, extending and expanding on the what he called the uh, Trump-Pence tax cuts. The others didn't do that. I mean, I didn't really hear a growth message. It's sort of parts of it, Steve, yes, but I didn't really hear that uh, in the yeah, debate. It, it, it's but like you know, 19, uh, you know, just let me say, just in 1980, yes. uh, the party was in favor of the Kemp Roth 30% across the board tax cuts. But in the presidential mm -hmm. race, only Ronald Reagan made it a forceful centerpiece. So it's not enough right. to say, oh, yeah, I like that. It's number eight on my list of things to do. 
you got to put it at the mm. forefront, front and center, and that's what they haven't done yet. This group, yeah, growth and growth and prosperity. Look, um, you know, like him or not, Trump bashes away uh, climate change, regu- deregulation, tax cuts. I mean, I think he still has a very strong message. What did you make of Ramaswamy? I mean, uh, he kind of won that debate, I think. Uh, well, I think uh, he perhaps uh, overdid some parts of it. And uh, the uh, Ukraine part, I want him to go uh, online, go to uh, Wikipedia and look up uh, Czechoslovakia, Munich 1938, uh, to see what these things can mean. Uh, but that's another mm-hmm. subject for another time. So it's No, that's an important through. point. That, that's an important point. And uh, the other thing is he's got to then uh, lay out in more detail uh, he's got some good ideas, and uh, the the other. So he he's got a future, and he's got to show that he's got the maturity and the chops to uh, uh, occupy the big chair. And uh, Pence and the others. I was glad Nikki Haley came through, maybe Secretary of State, but they've got to uh, put forth the Reagan-esque kind of proposal. And Reagan did it. And he, they also should remind, as you've done, that the deregulation movement that uh, made possible critical of the booming 1980s was started by the Democrats in transportation. Reagan continued yeah. in energy and elsewhere critically, but planes, mm. trains, and trucks, uh, they were all the start of the liberation under the Democrats. Teddy Kennedy took on the Teamsters Union. Who would have thunk it? Mm. <laughs> yes. No, no, you're totally right. Uh, Ted Kennedy was good on it. Uh, Carter was good on it. Reagan picked up on it, but it was a Democratic thing. So, Steve, are you going to go, speaking of this, uh, let's have some fun here. Are you going to go Monday night uh, to the uh, Robert Kennedy uh, meeting? We're going to have dinner with him, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Are you going to go to that? What, and what do you think of Robert Kennedy Jr.? Does he understand what his uncle did? <laughs> That's going to be a key question. Yeah, and unfortunately, he won't be able to make the dinner. But uh, yeah. he uh, was at a thing called Freedom Fest, a group of uh, meeting of libertarians uh, last July. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he is a smart guy. He hit all the right uh, keynotes with that with that group, uh, hitting the libertarian angle. So um, he doesn't get the taxes. I wish he would, because his party badly needs a, a, a tutorial on that. And uh, but. Uh, He's got uh, so if he does something like that, I think he can uh, put more juice in his campaign. Mm-hmm. He's around fifteen, twenty percent, but that's a real protest against Biden. And by the way, people say, "Well, the country doesn't like a Biden-Trump uh, contest again." Well, they're not going to get it. I can tell you, Joe Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee in twenty twenty-four with everything so, that's going on. So you're the economy. second guy. You're the second guy in this show. Mark Simone said the same thing. All right. Uh, Let's have some fun on this one. So Biden's not going to get it. So Steve Forbes, who's going to get? Who's going to come in and take him out? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd be in Las Vegas laying the odds and finally making it to the Forbes 400 <laughs> rich list. <laughs> but you're going to you're going to see a real push by Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. and uh, Newsom uh, proposed that uh, he have a debate with Ron DeSantis. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's ever going to come about. I hope it does because I yeah. think it'd be good for the country to see the vivid contrast between California and Florida. And I think it would be uh, humbling for uh, Gavin Newsom, because one thing DeSantis does is he does his briefs, he knows his stuff, uh, to point out what a disaster. And one of the good things, as you know, about our federal system is blue states versus red states. We have a laboratory going on. 
what states are working best, what states are in the most trouble. And uh, that uh, kind of debate, and the candidate should be hammering on that, too. We, we see what works and doesn't work. It's right before our eyes. I think if DeSantis... And by, by the way, and, and, and other uh, candidates they'll be throwing out, uh, uh, there's another word that throwing goes with, but the governor of North Carolina, who uh, declared a state of emergency when they passed school choice, even though his daughter goes to a private school, hello, mm-hmm. uh, the governor of Michigan, which is doing all she can to wreck uh, fossil fuels mm-hmm. uh, with the auto industry, hello. And uh, so uh, they, they don't have much of a bench. And then you have Joe Manchin making noises about a third party. But uh, so the Democrats have a problem, but they know that Joe Biden can't lead them. It, it's uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to say things that will get me in trouble. <laughs> well, <it's> just, OK, <laughs> I, I might be debanked. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if DeSantis had talked about California versus Florida or New York versus Florida, you know the story. I mean, I've talked about this on the TV show a lot. New York. If you live in New York City, you pay a 14.8% marginal tax rate. If you live in Miami, you pay a zero tax rate. And if you, the Florida economy is growing three times the rate of the New York economy. And Florida has a bigger population than New York, but Florida's budget is half the size of New York. I mean, I That's think, wild. Steve... If it, it, this, you know, originated with a Wall Street Journal editorial, I wrote about it and talked about it. Others have talked about it. If Ron DeSantis had talked about that stuff, I think he'd be in much better shape than he is today. And uh, he would be in better shape and also the party would be in better shape. Yeah. Because candidates down ballot have to know uh, this is the way to go. This is the way you get people on your side. This is the what Ronald Reagan understood. Not everyone was going to agree with his agenda, but he made sure what was key to his agenda. He dominated the dialogue. Mm. This is what my candidacy is about. And when they'd ask him, well, you got these nutbags backing you up, he said, I set the platform. If they want to endorse me, they're endorsing my platform. Mm. He, uh, he, he did that in a positive way. So uh, don't let the headlines do it. Don't let the questioners do it. Do it yourself. And I think Good. people will respond positively to it. Good for you. Steve Forbes, terrific stuff. Can't thank you enough. Please, folks, get thank his book. You. It's so instructive. Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. There's nobody better than Steve Forbes. Folks, we're going to break. On the other side, we're going to do some stock market work. Stay tuned. I'm Cudlow. Much more to come. Larry Cudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to reset. You can live stream us on the Internet, by the way. This show live streams on the Internet. It's Larry Kudlow. No, LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. You can get us all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system and the Milky Way during the week. Fox Business, the name of the show is Cudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. If you can't get it at 4, you can hear it at 7 replay, or text your favorite 9-year-old who will show you how to DVR the show. Let's do some stock market work. Stocks are bouncing around this past week. The Dow is off 154 points, but the NASDAQ was up 300, the S&P up 36, 
We'll go to our experts, Nancy Tengler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tengler Investments, and uh, Jim LeCamp, Senior Vice President for Investments at Morgan Stanley. Uh, welcome back, kids. So, I don't know, I have a few things to talk about. Stocks seem to be bouncing around. Interest rates have moved up in recent weeks. Uh, Jay Powell talking at Jackson Hole and the rest of the world. Nancy Tengler, what's going on here? Um, what's your outlook? Larry, don't you know we're navigating by the stars under cloudy skies? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's what he said. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. I feel like I do it every day, though. Um, yeah, so I, I think a couple of things. Um, I, I didn't think the speech said much of anything, uh, yeah. and I think you saw that in the market's response. Um, I, I do, however, think there's a couple of things going on um, underneath uh, the, the surface, and one is this GDP now number that I think mm. really has driven the bear steepening in the yield curve. Um, you know, we've got the 10-year rising, the two-year flat, and that's only happened less than 10% of the time. And and so if you look back historically, and it, and it tells you that the market thinks growth is accelerating and the, the Fed is likely to increase. I, I don't think that's the case. I think uh, one of the things that's been driving growth is uh, the, the fiscal stimulus that's in place and, and may, in fact, be starting to, to sort of wane just as we get uh, the impact of, of the lagged effects of monetary policy. So I, I think you still want to be cautious. You still want to own companies that are growing their earnings and can grow their earnings in the face of a slowing economy. But I wouldn't take that GDP now number to, uh, to the bank and extrapolate it out to infinity because I just don't think that's where we are. What is it? It's 5.9% for the third quarter. Right, right. And yep. we don't know. I mean, that's just based on the um, on the uh, recent numbers, let's see, in July. But we don't. We don't know that that's going to happen, and they they can revise that substantially. Uh, but rates Correct. have gone up a lot, uh, Jim LeCamp. I mean, the ten-year is holding now at about four. I'm going to call it four and a quarter percent, um, and the curve is still pretty steeply inverted, which is still a future recession signal. Uh, and the numbers coming in, um, you know, things like the manufacturing reports uh, from the Empire State and elsewhere don't look that great, Jim LeCamp. So what is your outlook? So it's not just those numbers. Uh, we have leading indicators down 16, 17 right. months in a row. Right. We have PMIs around the world um, in, in downtrends. They have revised the BLS numbers, which have one too many letters in their acronym. <laughs> they have revised those down for every single month this year. For, so for jobs. if you have for a jobs. metric and you need to revise every single reading, maybe you should change your calculations, maybe mm -hmm. you should change your birth-death models, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is, uh, and, and, then, and then you've got uh, declines in China, too, which will uh, impact uh, not only uh, global stock markets, but they uh, likely uh, have an impact on uh, uh, the global economic um, situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the economy is not in as good a shape as advertised, and uh, you've got 
this inverted yield curve that's gone on for a long time, and a lot of people have gotten comfortable with it. Mm. But if you look at the history of inverted yield curves, there is a lag effect. And we are not beyond the parameters of what historical lag effects have been with inverted yield curves and, and their ability to predict recessions. In the meantime, earnings are down. Yeah, Everybody compares earnings to expectations, but not enough time is spent looking on whether they're actually going up or down nominally, and they're going down. And so uh, we've got a, a market at a very rich valuation with breadth that's not that good, uh, you have leaders that are showing toppy behavior. Uh, you had this buy the rumor, sell the fact move this week in NVIDIA. And so uh, to me, and then you've got the seasonality of this all where, you know, historically um, September, August, September, early October have been very, very volatile and somewhat weak in the markets. So I, I think I agree with Nancy. It's not a time to be taking a lot of risks. Energy stocks still look okay. Uh, but uh, everything else uh, really looks pretty heavy here. Um, crude oil's holding at eighty dollars, eighty and a half dollars. Gasoline prices about three eighty-five. Brent crude eighty-four seventy-seven. But it's not, those two have not changed recently. The gasoline price actually is after rising is now holding at that point. So, Nancy, what's the energy story? What's the gasoline story? And related to that, the stocks, uh, what's that story? Yeah, well, so agree with Jim on, on energy for sure. We, we have been trimming our upstream exposure uh, and reallocating that into to integrated oil names. And, and the reason for that is just that we think we've seen a lot of the move in the price of oil. And um, now we want to try to make money um, in the in in the uh, refining and the integrated portion of the um, the space, but you know we've talked about this, Larry. We have a, a, a clean energy strategy, and, and you know clean energy is definitely a misnomer because by the time you mine for all the required mm. minerals and metals, uh, you've mm. destroyed uh, great parts of the of um, the, the society and, um, and and the you know the the world's uh, supply. And we're, we're going to be short, and so. We know that, and we want to make money if we can in that space, but we have hedged it with oil, and we think we will continue to see oil stocks uh, outperform in the coming decades. Uh, all the while, we continue to get this forced central planning push towards green energy. There's a real quick chart that I'll just cite. Um, it was from our friends at Strategus. They looked at you know what it would take of current production if you wanted to produce 18 million vehicles, EV, EVs. And uh, you'd need 88% of the lithium supply currently. Uh, you need 71% of graphite, 32% of cobalt. And we've got companies that are abandoning cobalt mines because they just can't. Um, one is Jervoy, who's 10 years in the making, way over budget. They finally just shuttered it. So there's going to have to be a realization that this notion of, of clean energy uh, needs to be reassessed, and we're going to have to get the environmentalists on board uh, for the mining aspect of it, because otherwise we're going to just continue to, you know, be well. Here, and adding to that, um, emerging markets own 76 percent of the world's oil supply, mm. and the rig count is down 16 percent here in the U.S. Mm. year over year. Now, let's not forget that there's depletion on all these rigs and wells as well. So uh, when you have a rig count that's in decline here in the U.S. and global demand that's still very high, 
the math is pretty easy to it's it's supply and demand 101 the math is pretty easy to do and uh to nancy's point also there is pushback now on not only um, electric vehicles, but on a lot of these initiatives, this ESG initiatives. And I know you saw the news from BlackRock of voting against a lot of these this week. So there is pushback on um, not only EVs, but all the ESG initiatives. And that should be uh, pro-energy in terms of fossil fuels. Because of scarcity. Yes. Yeah, I know, because, which is stupid. The whole thing is stupid because <laughs> prices would be much – gasoline would be $2 if you just let them drill, drill, drill. Drill, baby, drill. Right. I mean, really, what's the point? The clean energy thing is an obsession. Nobel Prize winners are calling climate change a hoax. It's not just Vivek Ramaswamy or Donald Trump. Nobel Prize winners are calling climate change a hoax. The only and people who believe this stuff are in Washington, D.C., and the Biden administration. Phil Murphy, the governor of California, uh, New Jersey, who's a very lovely man, by the way, he just came out, uh, no more gas-powered cars uh, by 2035. But wait, you can buy used cars, used gas-powered cars. You just can't buy new ones. I mean, how stupid is that? Really? How stu- that's almost market. as stupid as saying you can't have a ceiling fan. The energy department just came out. No ceiling fans. What is up with this? They're trying to blame Maui now on climate change. When they had a guy in control of the water supply who, because he was worried about uh, inclusion, held off water supply for hours. Yes. But it's climate change. Yeah, and they wouldn't let the utility uh, deal with the... uh, with the problems of ga- uh, special grass uh, and other firefighting mechanisms. I mean, they, uh, these policies are making it worse. We're straying from the stock market, but the reality is these policies are making it worse. We should be growing the economy at 5% with no inflation. And by the way, I want to come back and talk about the dollar and commodities. Uh, Nancy Tangler's got a new ETF. I've got to hear from that. And Jim LeCamp's got a strategy. Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investor. Officer of Laffer Tangler, Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley. I'm Kudlow. There's too much craziness out there. Larry Kudlow. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking stocks with Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. And Jim LeCamp, Senior Vice President for Investments at Morgan Stanley. Uh, Nancy Tangler, you got a new ETF. What's cooking? Oh, I want to get rich. Up, Larry. I want the non-rich <laughs> to get rich. I want the Cudlow Trust to get What do you got? Me, Real fast. Me too, and that's why we did it. Um, our minimums at, at Laffer Tangler are pretty high, and so we wanted to take our core strategy, which has um, a pretty strong track record of very high ratings from the independent uh rating people. And we wanted to make, make it accessible to the average individual. It's a core strategy. It uses the same valuation metrics I've used since the mid-1980s uh, when I first met you, actually, and it works. And so uh, we launched in uh, August, fourth month of the year, to launch an ETF. Um, but we, we braced the, the volatile markets, and we're looking forward to um, really having the opportunity to share it with the rest of the country. What's the ticket? What's the ticket? How much? Uh, it's the ticker is TGLR. I, so Taylor, no, no, how much TGLR. Do I, and, and how much do I need to play? Oh, minimum, whatever your broker, uh, five bucks, ten bucks. You can whatever it takes oh. to buy a share. I think 
Yeah, it's right. it's a for the average investor, and that's exactly right. what we wanted. Jim yeah. Camp, you, you know, she's pretty she's pretty smart, Jim. She's got a good track record. <laughs> she, I've known her a long time. She's very good. I don't know, maybe you put a couple of bucks in there. And, and I studied Art Laffer when I was a freshman uh, economics student at Baylor University. So yep. Uh, yep. I've, I've, I've known the team a long time. Um, <laughs> you were talking about emerging markets. I just want to yep. point out, if you were going to do mean reversion, you'd be all over it. But mean ver uh, reversion is, is kind of like waiting for a Godot. You better wait for the whites of their eyes before you do that. And uh, demand over there is really, really weak. Now, they're expanding the BRICS to include those other countries, and they're going to have a stronghold on a lot of commodities. So it's going to be something I think the next decade is going to be full of discussion about, uh, but it, it's not there quite yet in terms of moving the market, and we just need to wait till these uh, trends start to develop. But, Jim, what about the China story? You well, know, financial uh, you know, problems, was... real estate problems, the economy is sputtering, the currency is going down. What about, I mean, I'm interested in the China story because of the China implosion, but also what's the impact on the, the U.S. and the rest of the world? I think it has a, a, a big impact. I, I think China is hesitating. They, they, can, they can stimulate more than they have, and ultimately I think they will. At some point there will be a big bazooka over there, and Chinese stocks, uh, the valuations are really cheap right now. If they don't. If they if they decide to let markets uh, go ahead and go where they where they would go, and they don't normally do this, they hardly ever do it, then you've got a real problem because emerging markets in Europe are not in good shape in the first place, and if the rest of the world sinks, we've already got a, a, a market that's overvalued here in the first place. It's going to be a headwind. And Nancy. Um Mickey Levy's uh, article, his op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, China pays for economic mismanagement. The bill is coming due for Beijing's rejection of free enterprise in favor of communist ideals. I mean, that's a big story. I think Mickey Levy got it exactly right. The Deng Xiaoping reforms are dead. Uh, China has gradually moved away from free enterprise. And she has moved it up far further, much further from free enterprise. I mean, China is, uh, that story is going to be very important. That's a sinking story and has geopolitical implications and it has financial implications. For sure. And yet we're starting to emulate some of those same policies here oh, in the U.S. Yes. where we have witnessed, I mean, yes. we can see exactly what happens. Um, you know, so I, this is maybe where Jim and I uh, diverge. I, I, I still think it's too early to get back into China. We, we've been advocating not to for a couple of years. Um, no, I agree Black with Rock that. Oh, do, okay. Sorry, Jim. I didn't mean to mischaracterize. Uh, no problem. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, and, and, and this was, you know, while BlackRock was doubling their allocation to China, and now, you know, it's as though they, they don't even know where China is in their mm. in their mm. global allocation. So I, I think investors, there's plenty, you know, one of the things Jim mentioned earlier that I think is super important is that the lack of breadth in this rally is, in fact, a fact. But it's also given us a lot of opportunity because there's some really high-quality names, and in particular, the, the short-cycle industrials 
that are benefiting from all the government spending, um, we, we have found some really attractive places to, to put capital. So think of a name like Emerson or Carrier that also fit our theme of old economy companies that are embracing the digital revolution and AI, cloud computing, et cetera. So we, we think there's still plenty of places in the U.S., and that's where we're focused. Uh, stay away from China for some time would be, would be my advice. Yeah, stay away from China. Uh, Jim LeCamp, I got 40 seconds. What's your strategy? Keep a lot of cash right now. That yeah, we can get five percent on money market CDC yeah. bills and, yeah. and wait for. And I don't hate the areas that Kathy just mentioned. I actually do like those areas. But yeah, as I've told you before, Larry, in a, in a, if we get into a bear trend in this market, they're they're not going to take any prisoners. Everybody dies in the end. And you can, if if you have lots of cash right now, you can get paid for it. There is an alternative, and you can wait for some of these things to wash out. I think you can play them. But also, I think you can buy energy in here and some of the materials right. names. Yeah, you get 5%, 5% cash. It's not bad. Not bad at all. Nancy Tengler, thank you. Jim LeCamp, thank you. Folks, we're going to break on the other side. Money and politics with Liz Peek and Steve Moore. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to do some money in politics with our regulars, Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, Freedom Works, and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and following most of these same stations, WABC radio host, More Money, radio host of More Money. All right, kids, get ready. A few Bidens, a few Bidens, this is the police state. You can only have two drinks a week. That's number one. I don't drink, but I haven't had a drink in 28 years, but two drinks a week, no ceiling fans, New Jersey, no new gas-powered cars, and the Justice Department is suing Elon Musk because he's hiring Americans rather than illegal immigrants. Now, there's something wrong with this story. There is, Steve, you're all, all right, Steve Moore, you, you can take one, two, five, go. What, what is wrong with this picture? Uh, you, you know, as I, as I think I said a few weeks ago on your show, they're going to name the, rename the BATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, uh, Gas Stoves, Pizza Ovens, Air Conditioners, and now uh, there's a ceiling fan. Ceiling I mean, fans. it's preposterous, really. I mean, this is this is the new left wing kind of Stalinistic approach to mm -hmm. dealing with climate change. That mm -hmm. is there any appliance in your house, Liz, that you can buy without the government? Uh, you know, what about light bulbs? I mean, it's amazing. Once in a upon a time, uh, the left wanted to keep the government out of people's homes. And now uh, just about everything that you want to buy is being regulated by government. Liz Pink, uh can't have your ceiling fan. Um, I don't know whether you have one in New York or Nantucket. We have ceiling fans everywhere. A lot of businesses use ceiling fans. And, and let's speak uh, only two drinks a week. Um, earlier in the show, Mark Simone said that's going to lose the female housewife. Or it's housewife really vote. true. The Chardonnay <laughs> crowd out the door. Uh, you know, look. The Chardonnay I, I mean, crowd. You know, the uh, the ceiling fan thing is completely nuts because if you don't going to run your air conditioning at a very 
low level or high level, depending on how you look at it, which is green, right? You're not supposed to have your house or your air conditioning set at 70 degrees. They want you at 75 or 80 degrees. How do you make up the difference? How do you make it comfortable for people? You have a ceiling fan. I mean, that just seems so completely nuts to me. But, But actually, Larry, the story I'm glad you raised is this persecution, and I would use that word, of Elon Musk. This is making me crazy, this story. I saw it the other night on the news about how SpaceX is being sued. And by the way, the Justice Department is singling out SpaceX for this, for not hiring asylees, a word I've never heard before, but people seeking asylum, who, by the way, until they have asylum, are in the country illegally. Can we get Mm -hmm. over that? Uh, And other kinds of immigrants who have not yet gotten their papers uh, for not hiring those people. SpaceX is a rocket company. It is very essential to what Elon Musk is doing in terms of national security and security in places like Ukraine, where he is supplying by far and away the majority of satellite communication systems for troops on the ground for their war effort in Ukraine. So guess what? There is a law that says that, that like armaments companies are not, are not supposed to hire Uh, people in the country illegally. Actually, there was a day not that long ago when no one was supposed to hire people in the country Mm -hmm. illegally. But this is a national security issue. I I saw that. And actually, I'm writing about it now. It is infuriating to me Mm -hmm. to have this guy singled out, his company singled out, when on the face of it, it is such a preposterous charge. Steve Moore, I'm going to read you. This was uh, one of Elon Musk's tweets or X's or whatever they're called. Quote, U.S. law requires at least a green card to be hired at SpaceX as <laughs> rockets are advanced weapons technology, yeah. which goes to Liz's point. I mean, Steve, come on. This is insanity. This is total insanity. And I, this is yeah. part of the police state. Mark Simone called it a police state move. And this is also uh, antithetical to national security. This is nuts. So it was really interesting about the whole story is that let's say that Elon Musk started hiring thousands of illegal immigrants. You know, then they raid his factory and say, look at yeah. Elon Musk. He's not hiring American workers. He's trying to undercut American workers by hiring illegals. The other thing that's so interesting about all of these um, these kind of incidents you're talking about is that the left has become they've become the new Puritans. Right. Mm. I mean. They they want to regulate every aspect of and you can't smoke you can't drink you can't da, 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 just about anything what about I think pretty soon they're going to make sugar illegal pretty yeah. soon by well, they the way. Want, actually they try to Mike Bloomberg remember wanted to oh, yeah. cut down <laughs> on sugar intake goal, right? anyway you by banning goal. large drinks so that instead of a large drink you'd have to buy two <laughs> drinks which was really bizarre by the uh, way yeah, two drinks two drinks that's it. <laughs> Two beers. Yeah. If you have a third I, beer, gonna they're, they're going to shoot Larry, you. Larry, I think they're going to pretty soon they're going to make sex illegal. Oh, well, <laughs> they're moving. What kind of sex? I mean, that, but let's not go there. Um, okay. If you have three beers a week in Wisconsin, you're out. You're going to jail. Wow. Three what beers thinking? a week. Three beers a week in Chicago, Steve Moore. All right, uh, St. Patrick's Day. I want to know about St. Patrick's Day. That's a year's worth of allocation right there. Um, In all seriousness, this is um, stuff that the Republicans should be raising. 
because I don't think the I don't think the country. I mean, it didn't really come up in the debate. But this police state stuff, or Stalinist stuff, or whatever we're going to call it. Wait a second. The other one that's interesting is New Jersey Governor uh, Murphy. Okay, who's it? He's a nice guy, by the way. I know him. But um, no gas-powered cars, so they're adopting the California model. But Steve, you can have used cars. You just can't buy a new gas-powered car. Now, well, I just the, think here's that, the thing about that, though. That you know, car, did you see that the average car? New car costs like forty six thousand dollars now. I mean, so you can't afford to buy a new car anymore. I mean, right. I don't believe that inflation is only three and a half percent. I'm sorry, but when you look at the sticker price of airline tickets, of cars, of groceries, of filling up your tank, I'm, I'm sorry. I think these statistics are very skewed. And you know what? Most Americans, I bet most people listening to the show probably agree with me that the things you have to buy. Uh, are up so much in price. It's just, it's, I think inflation is closer to 10 or 15%. Well, um, let's speak. Uh, what's uh, Jay Powell going to do about inflation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I good question, because what he's doing isn't working. Well, I shouldn't say that. If you think that inflation has come down to 3%, 3.5% from 9%, I guess he should be taking a victory lap. But it is now, we are now at a point, and we've talked about this before, where it's like delivery companies at that last mile is the really tricky part. And I think getting to 2% is the really tricky part. And he, mm -hmm. he reiterated uh, yesterday in Jackson Hole that that is his ambition. Well, you can raise interest rates right now to 20%. And I really wonder how much impact it is not going to have any impact on the housing market. We know that because there's no movement in the housing market. People are hanging onto their homes because they have a 2% mortgage or 3% mortgage, and they're sure not going to move if it goes to, you know, 15%. Uh, in other businesses, maybe it will make a tremendous difference. You'll have a financial crisis at some point. But I, I really wonder how effective this program is. I mean, they've shrunk the Fed balance sheet enormously. I think the real rate of real interest rate is not Five and a half percent is probably more like eight or nine, because if you include that shrinkage of the balance sheet, they're making it very difficult for businesses to finance, uh, yeah. you know, to yeah. take loans out, to finance yeah. purchases of other businesses. They're really squashing the economy and it hasn't shown up very much yet in the data. I think it will. Uh, but I don't know what other program he's got in mind. And, you know, by the way, all this is happening in the context of slowing growth around the world. So it's, it is kind of a, a high price to pay for that last, that last 1% or 1.5%, I think. I'll give him credit, though, Steve Moore. He, uh, Paul Krugman, a big favorite of ours, yeah. he said just <laughs> raise the inflation targets yeah. to 3 yeah. or 4 And yeah. Powell said no. Powell said no, we're going to stay yeah. at 2 Yeah. So I give him credit for that. Um, we'll see how we, you know what he does in the months ahead. I think rates have not peaked yet, but um, they're, I give him I give him some credit for that. Steve, let's let's uh, kick around the uh, debate and uh, the economic messages in the debate. What did you guys think, Steve? Moore, you start. Well, I thought that uh, I thought that Nikki Haley had a good debate. I thought uh, here's the thing about um, Ron DeSantis: if you actually listen to what he said. He made a lot of sense, and he made a mm. lot of really good points, in my opinion. But there's something about DeSantis that he's just not 
connecting with people. He doesn't smile. He doesn't have a sunny disposition. And and then there was that one moment, I don't know if you guys uh, recall, when uh, Brett Baer asked, how many of you raise your hand would you? I yeah. forget even what the question was. You, will you, would you pardon? Would you um, back Trump? Yeah. Yeah. And and DeSantis looked around to see what he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. a really strange moment. So I like I love DeSantis's policies. I mean, what he's done in Florida has been amazing, but I just I don't think I just don't see him connecting with voters, and he, it didn't happen on uh, on what was it Tuesday or Wednesday night. And really, I don't see any of the others taking out Trump. I just don't. Right, let, I think let's take a break. University uh, debate. We'll get Liz back on this, and the, uh, there's some more to talk about. Got to take a break. Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. Steve Moore, he's got more money coming on uh, right after this show and most of these same stations. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here talking money and politics with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore of Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. And on most of these same stations, more money follows this show. More money. Uh, Liz, I didn't mean to cut you off. I won't give you a whack at it. Did they get an economic message out? I'm not sure they did. No, I, 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 two things, Larry. I don't think they really focused on the economic question, which is a big deal, and, and particularly with the administration out there touting Bidenomics with a lot of inaccurate and, and untruthful information. Um, and I also don't think they piled on Joe Biden. I mean, mm-hmm. frankly, you know, I think they missed the boat in terms of going after each other instead of going after the common enemy. Uh, Joe Biden is the common enemy. He's a terrible president. He's hurting this country in lots of ways. And by the way, if you are a contender like Ron DeSantis trying to depose Donald Trump, which I agree with Steve, is going to be incredibly hard to do. Talk about electability. Talk about how it is essential to get Joe Biden out of the White House, because, Larry, I am I'm not particularly extreme on things. Usually, Mm. I think four more years of this administration and this country's in trouble because a lot of the things they're doing are permanent. You know, messing with our energy uh, infrastructure and uh, power grids and all this stuff, if they do it wrong, and they are, it'll be permanently uh, injurious. Letting six million people into the country, permanent impact on Americans across the board. These things have to stop. And by the way, the weaponization of the Justice Department is like number one. Uh, and it won't stop. So these guys needed to make the message that it is essential to get rid of, get rid of Joe Biden, and they're the person to do it. And nobody even made that case, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I agree with you. Uh, that was a tough analysis you just gave, but I happen to agree. I don't think, by the by, they ripped into Bidenomics and the yeah. regulatory state and the spending. Uh, and as you say, the, um, the what they're going to do to the uh, energy infrastructure, uh, this stuff is crazy. I mean, we're taught, you know, we're kidding about no gas-powered cars and ceiling fans, but that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And you give them it's- four more years, they'll lock that stuff up. You know, Steve, they had a chance. I mean, there were snippets of it, but they didn't really make the Biden ca- Bidenomics case. 
No, they didn't. And, and I, you may have seen in our hotline uh, the day after the debate, we made the point that they didn't really talk about growth. You know, right. there wasn't enough about prosperity. You know, uh, if I were coaching uh, Ron DeSantis, you don't start out by saying America is in decline. You yeah, know, you I say, agree. You, mm. you say that Biden is put, putting America in decline. Right. And there's a difference between those two things. And right. look, Reagan won because he, he faced a terrible president and Jimmy Carter. But he also provided this incredibly, you know, um, optimistic view of America's future. I know. And I didn't hear that optimism. I mean, I want to, you know, make America great. Um, first guy to say that was Reagan. Long time ago, 40 years ago, at the mm-hmm. 1988 Republican convention, he's the one who said, make America great again. That was the first MAGA. And I didn't hear any MAGAs in this debate. And I was looking for MAGAs and I was looking for what Art Laffer talks about. Uh, Art always says the GOP has to persuade the country that they will be the custodians of prosperity. Yeah. They, you know, and yeah. I didn't really hear that. Now, you Steve, know Larry, I wanna... who's, who's on the message right now, totally on message, is Trump. Yes, and he I is. Love yeah. he is. Trump. I loved what he said the other day where he, he thanked all the people who supported him. And, uh, you know, I just love this new, he's not the grousing Trump that he was nine months ago and and that's a good look for him well he was great when i interviewed him he was really good on the issues and uh he he just was at the top of his game now steve uh art laffer has threatened me with my life if i don't show up (laughs) monday at the robert uh kennedy jr uh, dinner i assume uh, you're gonna be there i assume liz is gonna be there i hope so Uh, what, so what's the story with Robert Kennedy? What's the story with this dinner, Steve Moore? All right. Well, uh, we have RFK coming, and I'm, I'm sitting next to my beautiful wife, Anne, who watched the whole uh, um, thing that he did with uh, Tucker. And yeah. uh, I did like it. She said it was he was fantastic. Oh, <laughs> and more, and more but... weighing in. Okay, good to hear. <laughs> How, is he going to cut taxes like his uncle? Sorry? Is he going to cut taxes like his uncle? That's the key point. Uh, well, well, I'm going to ask him there, that. Larry, you've got to get I'm, him on the, on the tax yep. cut message. Yeah. I mean, he's got to do that. Liz, are you going to come to this? Uh, I haven't even actually heard about it. So, oh, I mean, God I think sakes. I heard about it a while ago, uh, but haven't heard anything recently. Unfortunately, I'm not home in New York City yet, so oh, no. probably not. But I'm sad because I would really like to see this guy in person. I think he has a very interesting pitch. He's been, of course, dismissed by uh, Biden no people. But, um, yeah. you know, he's an interesting candidate. No question yeah. about it. Who, you know, you it's know, funny. You know, my line on this, Larry, is that he's right about 30 percent of the time. And that makes him a lot brighter <laughs> than almost every other Democrat. And, you know, that's not bad, Steve. Pretty good yeah. formula. Yeah. Yeah, that, I agree. I think that's just about right. So a couple of people on this show have said that Biden is not going to be the candidate. Who's so, if Biden's not going to be the candidate, who's going to be the candidate? I'll take a stab at that. I think it yep. totally depends when he gets out. If he gets yeah. out in the next month or so, you'll have a pretty robust primary, I guess. Hurry up. But we know that um, uh, Newsom and Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer, have had sort of shadow campaigns going on, they'll be ready to roll. Uh, if he's not out until February or March, 
I think it's either Kamala Harris or someone being brought in like Michelle Obama, who can hit the ground running, who has the entire uh, money uh, raising apparatus in place and who's very well known. Michelle Obama obviously ticks all those boxes. So, uh, you know, you tell me, when's he getting out? You know, you're the second person. I forget who the heck. But the Michelle Obama argument, that's very interesting, Steve Moore, because if I got to say Michelle Obama, that means Barack Obama. But basically, nothing would change. Right. I mean, there'd still be Biden-esque policies because Biden just expanded on what Obama did. Yeah, I, I will just simply say this, that I sure would r- rather run against Kamala Harris than Michelle Obama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they get, but yeah. they might get rid of Kamala Harris, too. I mean, yeah. they can do yeah. anything they want at the convention, yeah. anything yeah. they want. I think Charlie Hurt said this. I don't remember who said that. But in any event, the Michelle Obama argument, wow. So you won't get any change. They're still going to be the far-left party. They're still going to be yeah. the regulatory yeah. party, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, what else we got? SpaceX we covered. Uh, Liz, um, what's your column going to be about? You said you're really uh, up in arms well, about I, SpaceX. I, I mean, what are I'm you going to say? I, well, just that I think it's a preposterous persecution of this guy. Why did, And by the way, there was an article in The New York Times recently, too, that just struck me as completely ridiculous about how I think the headline was something like, uh, European partners concerned about Elon Musk's dominance of satellites. Well, okay, they're concerned, but on the other hand, he's the only game in town. And he is, remember, he was making satellite communications, which are completely essential to any kind of war operation, free. It was making him available. And then they jumped on him for saying, you know what, I can't really continue to afford this. Which More money. Seems- More money coming right up. I'm Cudlow. Thanks, folks. We'll be back next weekend.